They're doing a good job, too. All right, if you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We got to chapter verse 7 uh, last week. And uh, like I said, this is still continuing. This is some hard scriptures to preach because we all know them. I mean, we all know them so well. You probably say Luke chapter 2, that's the birth of Christ. That's what you're supposed to be preaching at Christmas. So you kind of breaking the calendar uh, already. But uh, we're going to look at it with new eyes and God's going to show us, God's going to show us his word. He's going to show us what he has for us today. So let's pray and ask him to come and ask him to open our hearts and open our minds as to what, uh, what he would have for us to learn today from his word and to change us by, the, by his spirit as it uses this word in our hearts. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, Lord, and all that you promised that we can hold on to in, in, the, in the scriptures. Father, we ask that you would be with us today as we come and we read your word. Lord, we, we just pray that you would, um, that you would speak to us today uh, more than anything else. We don't necessarily want to just learn new things. We, we want you to speak, God. We want you to speak to our hearts. We want you to change our hearts, God. We want you to uh, take this word and uh, embed it deep within our hearts and change our lives with it. Lord, we thank you. We pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, that if they don't know you uh, in the power of your resurrection, we pray that you would uh, cause them to be born again and that you would save them. We thank you for that, and we love you. God, it's a wonder, and it's a, it's a, it's a great thing to be used by you to, to be part of uh, you growing your kingdom. And we thank you that we're all the part if we're believers in you. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 2, we, we saw up, up to verse 7 last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph. We talked about, remember that uh, uh, the, the, basic, the basic outline that we looked at last week was that God is in control. It doesn't matter, if, doesn't matter who's Caesar, who the Caesar is, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, God's in control. And God is always working for your real problem. I mean, you got lots of problems, you got lots of things going on, you got lots of issues in your life, but your real problem is the same as my problem, the same as everybody else's problem, and that's sin. And God is working on our real problem. He's working before anything else. He is, he is, that is his main goal, main purpose, main function is to deal with our sin and to grow us through our sin if we've been born again. He's sanctifying us. He is conforming us to the image of his son. And so sin is the big problem and God is working. He's using uh, all kinds of means, using the word of God, the fellowship of the believers. He's, he's using all those things to, uh, to uh, work on that real problem. Well, today we're going to read uh, the passage that you, I know you're so familiar with. You probably read it every Christmas, just like we all do, about the angels coming and giving the announcement of Jesus' birth. But there's a few things I want you to see in it that you might not, have, uh, not, might not pick up on when you're uh, at home with your family and you're around the Christmas tree about to open presents. And, you know, if you're like my family, we'll read this section in Luke uh, from 1 to verse 20. Uh, there's some things that we need to understand what God is doing. There's some things that God has done. And this announcement from the, from the angels as they come to the shepherds, you know the story. I probably don't even have to, I'm going to read it, but I probably don't have to read it to you. You know what's about to happen. Uh, this, this announcement that, that God sends these angels to announce to this shepherd, it's uh, instructive for us because it tells us, number one, it tells us what God is doing in, in salvation. It tells us who we are in salvation. It tells us what is coming. The angels are coming to these shepherds and they are announcing the birth of Christ. They're announcing what is about to happen. And he gives information there, not just to give a history lesson. Hey guys, guess what? The Messiah is being born. 
You know, yay, go find him. He's not just giving a history lesson. He's not just giving information. He is pronouncing the gospel of salvation to these shepherds. And we're going to see that as we as we walk through this text. And it's the same gospel that you and I live under today. It's the same thing that you must do in order to be saved. It's the exact same message that we have today. But we're also going to see the effect of it. And that's where I want to kind of focus is the effect of this message upon you. Because if it doesn't change your life, if it doesn't change your heart, if it doesn't affect the way who you are and the way that you walk, the way that it's going to here in this text, then you need to examine yourself whether you've trusted in this message, trusted in this person, because that is the effect of, of what we see here. So let's look at it. The first thing I want to show you is, is that the gospel is brought to it's brought to sinners. I mean, it's brought to those you think about Christianity, you think about church, you think about uh, those who are saved, those who are walking in Christ. And what you, we always get this mental image of these religious people, religious people that have everything going on. You're not supposed to bring your stuff. You're not supposed to bring your problems in the door. You're supposed to, if you've been yelling at the kids all the way to church, you're supposed to leave all that outside. You're supposed to leave all your troubles, all your worries, all your problems outside. We don't want none of that in here. We're going to pretend to be nice and pretend to be wonderful people here. As, but that's not the gospel. The gospel comes to sinners. It comes to wretched, lost sinners. It comes to people that are broken. It comes to people that, that need the gospel. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the healthy. I came to call the sick. It's the sick who need a physician. So let me just read in verse 8 and 9. It says, and there were in the same country. Remember the background. We've already done one through seven. Mary is in the dirt having a baby. This is, you know, we didn't romanticize the birth of Christ. It's not like the cute little nativity scenes that you see. She is in the, in the dirt, probably in a stable, maybe a cave. We're not sure. But there's a place where animals are kept. There's a manger there. She is uh, going through all the things that you ladies have gone through who have had children. You know what it's like to be in the hospital and have a baby. She's going through exactly what you would go through except without an epidural and laying on the ground. And so she's going through all that. And while she is doing that, we showed last week... <coughs> That there was no room for them in the end. And we showed that that's not the real problem. It's not the real problem that, hey guys, come on, make room for Jesus. The real problem is sin. And the reason there was no room for them anywhere in Bethlehem is the same reason there's no room today in people's lives for Christ. It's because of sin. And so we see that while Mary's going through all this, Bethlehem is sleeping or they're just doing what they do. People might be walking around. There's a lot of people in Bethlehem at this time because of the census, uh, because they were being taxed and they were there to register. And so they're just going about their business. This lady is screaming and having a baby in the midst of this barn or cave or wherever it was. And all this is going on. And it says in the, at the same time that this is going on, there were shepherds out in the field, out away from the town, away from all the people. In verse 8, it says, And there were some that were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. Okay, first, let's just describe the scene. You got... You got these, these shepherds are out and they're, I don't know, they're around the campfire. There's no, remember, there's no street lights. There's no city lights. It's dark. And all of a sudden, these shepherds are sitting there and an angel appears and it says the glory of the Lord shone all around them. So this angel just appears. It's not just like some glowing thing in the sky like, oh, look at that. What is that? 
Is that a UFO? Is that a, is that a light in the sky? No, the glory of the Lord shone all around them. It was, it was bright. And what would be your first, if you're out camping, you're out in the woods, you're out, what would be your first response? Duh. You would be terrified. Now, come on, you, you know some of y'all be running like mad. Y'all seen a big light in the woods when y'all were out there camping. And so they were terrified. But there's something you need to know about shepherds. At this time, you know, we got uh, pictures of shepherds and you, you just can't get rid of the picture of all the Christmas plays that you've ever seen. You know, you got the kids in the bathrobes with the little sticks and the, and the things on their head that look like uh, sheep, you know, make, and they come walking through and it's just all cute and, and wonderful. But at this time, shepherds were thought of as unclean. They were thought of as low, uh, at the bottom of social status. They were thought of as outcasts. You see, a shepherd had to stay out in the field with their sheep when they, you know, that's what they did. You couldn't get near Jerusalem with these animals because people would want to sacrifice them but in the temple. And so they couldn't participate in the temple rituals or in the temple rites and the purifications in the feasts and all those kind of things. And so they stayed out away from these towns, away from Bethlehem, away from Jerusalem, away from these towns. And they were unable to go to the temple when they were supposed to. They were unable to go to the times of prayer. They were unable to go to the sacrifices. They were unable to go to all of these things. And for that reason, the people thought that they were unclean. The religious high-minded, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those, those high-class people, so to speak, thought that they were unclean. They thought they were outcasts. They were separated. They couldn't, they couldn't come to God because they weren't coming the way that you're supposed to come. If you want to come to God, you're supposed to come into the temple at the right times. You're supposed to bring the right kind of animals to sacrifice. You're supposed to do all these things. And for the most part, shepherds were characterized by not doing those things. And so they were probably a step right above a leper. You know, the lepers weren't accepted. You couldn't come around people. They had to yell unclean. They had to stay in their own spot. Shepherds were like one step above that. And there's some Jewish writings of this time and a little later that say that the character of shepherds is pretty much, they call them liars and thieves and basically untrustworthy. Now, I'm not sure that all shepherds, just because you're a shepherd, you're a liar and untrustworthy. But that was the thinking of the day is that, oh, if you're a shepherd, you must not be a very trustworthy guy. And so these people, from the world's point of view, are the lowest of the low. They're the low class of society. They're, they're, the, they're the ones you don't want coming knocking on your door, barring stuff. They're the ones that, you, that you're not, you know, you're keeping your eye on when they're walking past your car. You know, you want to lock your door. You want to grab onto your purse when you're in Walmart and the shepherd walks past you. These were the ones that you don't trust. These were the ones that, you know, whether it was true or not about them, this is what the world thought about them at this time. Why in the world would God send his angel to give the message of salvation, to give the news that Jesus has been born to this group of people? Out in the field somewhere. Why would he not bring this message to the rulers? Why would he not bring it to the high class people, to the religious people, to the temple? You know, God sent the angel Gabriel to come and to give the message that John would be born right in the midst of the temple to Zechariah. We saw that as we looked at Luke chapter one. Why would he not give this message of this Messiah being born? Salvation has finally come to his people. It's after all of these years, all of these promises. Why would he give it to these outcasts? 
Why would he give it to these people, these nobodies? Why would he give it to people that the world looked at and thought were, you know, they were just they were just low class people. They were outcasts. They were separated from uh, the temple and the religious practices. Why would he do such a thing? I want to show you that in the next two verses, there's two words in these verses that, to be honest with you, I, I mean, I've read them before and we've all heard them before. But it never really struck me before until I started praying through this section and studying over this section. He says to these guys in verse 10, 11, he says, and the angel said, okay, the angel's up there and he's, he's talking to the shepherds. Glory is all around them. He says, and the angel said unto them, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Verse 11 says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Y'all have all heard that verse before. There's nothing new about that. But those first two little words, I'm going to go back and get verse 10. But the first two words in verse 11, he says unto you, unto you, this Messiah is born. This savior is born. This king of David is born unto you. Now, I started thinking, well, these shepherds aren't related to Mary and Joseph. I mean, they're just out in the field somewhere. It says, unto you, this Messiah is born. Understand, he's not just, the angel's not just telling them. God didn't send him just to say, hey, guys, guess what? The Savior's born. All right, we've got a Savior now. He's going to go, you know, he's going to die on the cross, and we've got a Savior. He looked at these shepherds, this, this angel, this heavenly divine being that was filling the sky with glory. Glory surrounded all these, these shepherds. He looked at them, and he said, Unto you, today to you, this Savior is born. Today, for you, sinner, this Savior has been born. And so he didn't come to the religious, the ruler, the rulers, the all that. He came unto you, unto you, the shepherd, to you, the outcast, the one who people thought that was hopeless. This was not just an angel announcing, hey, guess what? A savior has been born today. He was bringing a message of salvation, a message of hope to these people, to these outcasts. And today you need to understand that same message is applying to you and I today. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're on, if you're in the top echelon of society or if you're the lowest of the low, that message is the same unto you this day. I'm not related to Mary. I'm not related to Joseph. I'm not in their family. I'm not even a descendant of a descendant that I know of. And you're not either. I mean, some of you might be. You can talk about that after. But it's we're not part of the family, you know. So like when uh, when Josie K was born, I could say, uh, Miss Diane, to you, you've got a baby. You know, you've got a grandbaby. It's been born to you. She's been born to you. She really wasn't born to me. Because I, she, I'm not in their family. I mean, I get to enjoy her. I get to, when, when she finally gets to where she can get out around people and we're not coughing on her and sneezing on her and stuff like that, uh, we'll get to enjoy her and love on her and watch her grow up and everything. But the responsibility, the, the ownership of that really doesn't fall on me. It's not my grandbaby. It's not my child. It's not my whatever. So really, it's kind of weird if uh, I, I walked in and uh, we were all in the hospital and the baby was born and I walked out the living room and I said, I just, we just had a baby. <laughs> Their family would have been like, uh, you didn't have no baby. You didn't have no baby. But the angel said unto you today, this baby has been born. This Messiah has been born unto you. You now have a savior. This is a message of salvation for these people. He says unto you, it's been born 
a savior. Now, notice the second thing that we see. This is not just a plan. It's not just a program. It's not just it's not just God announcing the fact that, hey, the plan of salvation has now been enacted. Of course, there is a plan. There is a program of salvation. I'm not saying there's not. But this is not the announcement of, hey, guess what, guys? I've got a program in place and I've got a plan working. And now we can, we're going to be able to start step one, step two, step three. No, this is the announcement of a person. This is the announcement of a person. That person is Jesus, a savior. He says unto you this day is born a savior, a savior, a person, a real person. That is who's born to you today. That is the the uh, that's the end, the beginning and the end of salvation. And so what he was announcing was not just, hey, I've got a new plan today and you guys are lucky. You shepherds, you're going to be able to work the plan. You're going to be able to work the program. And if you work it just right, I'm going to let you in. You're going to be able to be in the kingdom of heaven. You're going to be able to be, you know, in, in the presence of God. You're not going to be outcasts or separated anymore. That's not what he was saying. He was saying unto you, I have given a person. I've given someone who will save you. And so when we talk about salvation, a lot of times we talk about it as some abstract thing out there in the clouds. You know, I have received salvation and that's a legitimate way to talk about it. I'm not making light of that. But the reality is you don't just receive salvation. You receive a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with this person, I question whether you have the salvation that comes along with this person. You can't say, you know, I followed the rules. I followed the program. I walked down the aisle. I did what I was supposed to do. I come, you know, and I I go to church every Sunday and I I, I do what I'm supposed to do. And I I, I repeated the prayer and I, I do it. You have to have a relationship with this person. You have to encounter this savior. And so the angel came to these shepherds and he said to the lowest of the low, he said, today unto you is born a savior. Today unto you, this person is born. It's a, it's a, the one who will save you from your captivity. The one who will save you and make no mistake, you are captive to your sin. If you don't know Christ, we think that we're free because we do what we want. But the reality is our hearts are desperately wicked before we know Christ. And that wickedness takes us wherever it decides to take us. And we follow like the slaves that we are. It says that you are slave to sin. Jesus said that in in John chapter eight, slave to your sin. But there is one who was born who lived the perfect life, died on the cross to redeem you, one to stand in your place. It's not just a method. It's not just a program. Of course it is. We know that you need to call upon the name of the Lord. You need to repent of your sin. You need to trust in Jesus. Those are, those are things that are part of the deal. But this is not receiving, this is not receiving just a status. It's receiving a person. It's receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's dying to self, allowing him to come in and live through me. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And so, so many people think, you know, well, I've done the program. I've done the method. I I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in, but have no relationship with Christ, have no inkling of, of love for Christ. You know, I say this all the time about, you know, if you, if you have a wife, a a child, a brother, sister, father, mother, whoever they are, and you just, you just spend all of two or three minutes a week or an hour a week talking to that person, 
and refuse to have company with them at any other time, that doesn't, you have, a, you have a very sorry relationship with that person. You have a relationship with that person that's not growing. You have a relationship with that person that's never going to be anything other than what you have right there in messing with them for an hour or so a week. And so we understand that Jesus, when you have, when he comes in and he um, changes your heart and fills you with the Holy Spirit, now all of a sudden you see everything through the filter of Christ. You see everything through the filter of, of who God is and what he has done. That is who you are. We're not talking about, hey, guys, you really need to start changing your thinking. You really need to start doing this and not doing that. You really need to start acting better. You really need to start doing. We're not talking about all that kind of stuff. We're talking about being transformed in the, in the bottom of your heart into a new creature into a new person with new desires and new loves because you're always going to do what you love. That's just a given. You can, you can refrain and you can discipline yourself to do you know, this thing or that thing, but you will always revert back to what you love. We need a heart change to change what we love. We need a heart change to change the desires of our heart. So the angel says to them, a savior is born. He is the one. He is the one who brings salvation. And he's the only one who could. He is the, he, he is fully man. He is the only man that have ever lived that is able, that is able to save you. The only savior that you will ever encounter, the only savior that you will ever be offered is Jesus Christ. And the reason why he is the only one who can save you. The only one who ever will be offered to save you is because he is, it says at the end of that verse, he is Lord. He's not just a man. He is God himself. He's the second person of the Trinity that stepped into creation to bring salvation to you. Y'all with me? Okay, thank you. Verse 10 says, And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. He's a Savior. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And He is the Lord. He is the Lord Himself. He stepped, listen, before there was ever a creation, before eternity passed, before there was any trees, any air, any anything, God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, decided that he would take on the nature of a man and step into creation and feel what you feel and hurt the way you hurt and be persecuted the way that you're persecuted, to endure shame and suffering, to endure all these things, but never to sin, never to break the law of God so that you and I could have that perfection. He's the only one that's able to free you from your sin because he's the only one that never sinned. God himself. You see, if he was dying on the cross as a sinner, he would have to pay for his own sin. But he had no sin to pay for. So it's a transfer of deed that this God man could take on the sin of the world and pay for that sin and atone for that sin and bring the wrath of God down upon his own head. So you and I could experience the grace and the love of God that was supposed to be brought down upon his perfection. We are given his perfection, whereas he takes our punishment and takes our wrath. He is God and man. And just so you think, this is, this is a very, this is a huge deal. This is not just out in the realm of theology somewhere and I don't really have to worry about that. 
When Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, before the foundations of the world, God, the Son, when he took on flesh, when he came in the likeness of men, he stayed that way. He will be that way for all eternity. When you die, if you're born again, you go and you stand before God, you will be able to see Jesus, God and man. He not, I mean, what he did for us is so much bigger than we think. A lot of people think, you know, well, Jesus came as God and took on the form of a man and took on flesh in the incarnation and came and he died on the cross and then he ascended back to heaven and now he went back to normal and everything's back the way it was before he ever came. That's not so. Paul says in Colossians chapter two, he said, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells, present tense. In Christ right now, he's seated at the right hand of the father as both God and man for the first time in all of creation, for the first time in all of eternity, a man was able to walk into the throne room of God. Perfect. Never having sinned, sit down at the right hand of the father and able to accept righteousness, able to able to claim righteousness. And through him, we can come. We can come through him to the right hand of the father. We can come to the throne of grace and we can come boldly because he's purchased it for us. So this announcement was not just giving information. This is not just the angel saying, hey, guys, I need to tell you something because, uh, you know, it's kind of a special time right now that we're going. He was giving the message of salvation in this person, Savior. Christ, Lord, he is born, not just born, but born unto you. He's born for you. These lowly shepherds out in the middle of nowhere who probably didn't know anything about anything, didn't know Mary and Joseph from anyone else. He said, for you today, unto you, this Savior is born. Unto you, this Lord has come to save you from your sin. And so what we see is, what we see is that this God in men, I mean, what a love that he took upon himself flesh. He made himself no reputation so that he could save you. So that he could save me. That he could save the lowest of the low, the wretched. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we hated him, when we were enemies of God, He took on flesh, came in the incarnation as God and man unto you today. He's been born unto you today. He's lived a perfect life unto you today. He's died on the cross and unto you today. He has risen from the grave in power and glory so that you can come into the presence of the father. And so it says, it says, um, let's go back to verse 10. It says, and the angel, angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings. That word good tidings is the word where we get evangelism or evangelist or evangelical. It's the word for gospel. He says, behold, I bring you the gospel. I bring you good tidings, good news. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. It's a joyous message. I'm going to get back to that in just a minute. In verse 13, he said, or 12, he gives them the sign. He says, and this shall be a sign unto you. This is how you'll know who he is. This is what he's telling the shepherds. He says, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Probably not too many babies in a manger in Bethlehem that night. 
So he tells them how to find this Messiah, how to find this Lord. They tell him who he is. Now, this is where stuff really gets real. Verse 13 and 14 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. That's angels, an army of angels. That's what the word host means, army. There was an army of angels, a host of angels, heavenly, heavenly hosts, praising God. They were praising God and they were saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Peace for those with whom God is pleased. There's peace finally. Now imagine, imagine this for just a second. One angel came to the shepherds. And it says glory was all around it. Glory was everywhere. It filled, it, glory filled all around the shepherds. Now it's not just one angel. It's a whole, it doesn't just say, it says as multitude, but thousands, thousands, what maybe hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many is a multitude. Thousands of these angels. Can you imagine what a sight this was for these lowly outcast shepherds who were at the bottom rung of society, who couldn't keep the rules, the religious rules of the temple because of they were always out in the field with their flocks. They were unclean because they never attended the uh, the rituals and the rites and all those kind of things. They, all of these shepherds out in the field, and here is a multitude of angels. Here is thousands upon thousands. One angel, glory filled all around him. Can you imagine what it looked like with thousands, thousands of angels? And what did they do? They were praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. For the first time ever, for the first time in creation, for the first time in eternity, you and I and the shepherds that night and everyone on the planet has an opportunity for peace. Now, that may not seem like a great big deal because, to, to be honest with you, this is a hard verses to preach because you all know them. I mean, y'all have y'all heard, y'all could probably quote, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and good. I mean, y'all can quote that without even reading it. But the reality is they probably understood what this peace meant because when you and I are in sin when we live in sin you are an enemy with God I don't care who you are I don't care what you do I don't care if you're on the top you know religious scale or if you're down at the bottom in the gutter you and I and mankind is enemies are enemies with God when we don't know Christ, when our sin is not paid for, when there is no righteousness that we can have. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. When you stand before God as a sinner, you are an enemy. When you live your life as a sinner, you are an enemy to God. The mindset on the flesh is enmity. That means hatred. That means you hate God. Now, you might be walking around going, I don't hate God. I mean, I'm here, ain't I? It's all good. I, I, I'm not an enemy. I don't hate God. You hate God, the Bible says, because you have invented a God in your own mind. If I like a, per, a particular sin, if I enjoy a particular sin, then hey, my God's okay with my sin. Yeah. Oh, I know the Bible says it's a sin, but I'm going to keep doing it because, you know, I just feel like it's okay. You've invented some God that doesn't exist and you are at enmity with the true God. You are, you are at, you are in, in hostility with a true God. It's like two armies are at war. Two countries are at war. They are battling against each other. God is saying, this is what righteousness is. And you're saying, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
I'm going to live the way I want to live. And I'm going to add a little bit of religion in there just so I can say I made you happy. And God is saying, no, that's an abomination. We are at, we are, I don't know what the word is. We are, we are enemies. We are knocking heads with the almighty God. And when man's will comes up against God's will, I I can promise you who's going to win. We are enemies in our wicked works of God. Even if, you know, most of us, we're just trying to go to work. We're trying to come home, trying to feed our families, trying to do what we're supposed to do. I'm not robbing banks. I'm not doing drugs. I'm not out there killing people or doing it. I'm just living my life. Can't you just let me live my life? Understand that everything that you think, the desires of your heart, Genesis 6 says every imagination of their hearts was only evil all the time. Everything that we think is either sinful or not sinful. Everything that we do, every moment that passes by on the clock that you are not loving God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, you are sinning against the Holy God. You are an enemy against Him. But here... The angel comes because of this birth in Bethlehem, in this no-name town, backwater country. And he says, today, peace has come. Today, there is a truce between you and God if you would come and trust this Savior. He will save you from your enemy, which is God, I know that sounds weird. That sounds strange that your enemy is God. He will save you from the wrath of your enemy. He will save you from the wrath of the one that you hate, the true God. Not this God that you make up that's okay with all your sin. The true God. He will save you because he is that God. And he came as a man to take your place and to bear all that punishment. The same sin that we hold on to and that we love and we say it's not that bad, it's okay. That is the, that is the wrath. That's the punishment. That is the pain and the torture that was, was heaped down upon the head of Christ as he was on the cross. And we say, well, it's not that big a deal. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. You can't be crazy about this thing. You can't be a fanatic. What's wrong with you? I mean, I'm not going to be one of them crazy people. That sin that we're defending is what caused Jesus to be crucified. It's what caused the sky to go dark as the wrath of God came down upon his only son. Understand that God hates sin. I don't care if you call it, what you call it, whatever you want to. I don't care if you say it's not a sin, if the Bible says it's a sin, God hates hates it. And I can make a good case. Write Psalm 5, 5 down somewhere. Go look it up somewhere some other time. Psalm 5, 5. It says, you ever heard that thing where God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner? Psalm 5, 5 says, you hate all those who do iniquity. Doesn't say, hey, hates the sin, love the sinner. Now, in a sense, God does love all the world. He gave his son to die for the world. But it says, Psalm 5, 5, you hate all those who do iniquity. When I say, you know, my sin's not that bad. It's not really a sin. I mean, I don't, the times have changed. We don't live back in the first century anymore. We, we're more smart, more, more smarter. <laughs> Obviously, we're not more smarter. We're smarter today than when they were back then. We, we got all kind of stuff. The Bible says it's a sin. It's a sin. And we love our sin. 
enemies of God. But today, he says, there is peace to be had. I'm bringing you good news to these shepherds who were outcasts. This was indeed good news. It was good news, and there was joy to be had in it. Peace has come. If you would accept this Savior, if you would trust in this Savior, peace is available for you. Peace between you and God is available for you. Peace. No more hostility. No more war between you and God. No more fighting against who he is. Jesus has come to take away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said when he saw the Lamb of God who comes to take away. Okay, so anyway, last few verses. Let me just show you what this peace does, what this salvation does. And you examine yourself whether you be of the faith or not. In verse 15, it says, three things happen to these shepherds because of the gospel that has come to them. And they're the same three things that happen to everybody else when we trust in Jesus. Ask yourself, have they happened to you? Is God doing what he promised he would do in you? It says in verse 15 and 16, let me show you how these shepherds are transformed. It says, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them in the heavens. uh, The shepherds said to one another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. The first thing that always happens when the Holy Spirit draws you, when the Holy Spirit changes your heart, when you receive this regenerated heart that is a new creation that desires God, you will be drawn to Christ. You'll be drawn to him. The Holy Spirit comes and he says, he says, this is something that is beautiful and your desires change. Your mind changes. Everything about you changes. And now all of a sudden you're drawn to him. It doesn't matter whether you're a shepherd or whether you're an electrician or whether you're a businessman, whatever it is that you do, you are drawn to him. You have a desire for him. You love him, not this God that you make up. That's okay with all your sin, but the truth. True God, all of a sudden I'm changed and my heart hates my sin. Even though I'm still a sinner and I still don't live perfectly, my heart hates it. It despises it. It wants to get away from it and it wants to be drawn toward Christ. Closer to you, closer to you. That's all I want is to walk closer to you, to be more like you, to be conformed into the image of of his son. That's what I desire. And so the heart that's been changed, the heart that is drawn by the Holy Spirit is drawn always to Christ. It's not just drawn to do better and be better and to act better. It's drawn to a person, drawn to this savior, to be in relationship with him. Have you been drawn? Is your heart desiring Jesus today? Does your life desire him? Do you have a desire to know Christ, to walk with Christ, to see Christ? If you don't have a desire here to see Christ, heaven's really going to stink for you. You got this. Most people have this picture of heaven is just, you know, it's all laying back on the couch, getting fed grapes while the waves smash against the heaven is where Jesus is. And the worship of Jesus is going to be going on in heaven. So you have no desire for Christ here. What in the world makes you think you're going to be in heaven? What in the world makes you think you'd even enjoy heaven if you have no desire for Christ? The second thing, I've got to hurry. It says that they became, they were transformed and drawn to Christ. They were transformed and became ambassadors 
for Christ. Look what it says in 17. It says, and when they had seen it, they found him. They made known abroad the sayings that were told to them concerning this Christ. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is the first thing the shepherds did. Did they come and show, see Christ and say, yes, this is him. And then just go back to business as usual. No, it says they made it known to everybody. They made it known to everybody. They became ambassadors of this king. They became emissaries to present this savior, to come and say, hey, you all need to see this. Y'all need to understand this. You need to come to him because here is the savior. Here is peace with God. We don't have to be enemies with God anymore. We don't have to be afraid of judgment anymore. We don't have to worry about coming and standing before God and all our sins be placed upon our head. Here is the savior. They became a witness. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness unto me. You will be. You can't help but be. It's a transformation that takes place in your heart. You will be a witness. Today, if you claim the name of Christ, you are a witness for Christ. You may not be a good one, but you are bearing the name of of Christ. When my children go out, we talk to Jesse is playing soccer and he's playing football, but he football was over. So he plays soccer and, and he's pretty good at it. And Jesse has the mindset Jacob does too. And they get all this from their mama. No, really they get, he, they have the mindset that if I can't win, if I can't be the best, I don't even want to play. I mean, pfft, I'm just go home. I, if I can't be the if I can't be better than everybody else, if I can't win, if I can't do, you know, it just stinks. I don't even want to play. It, it, it's like they just had this competitive thing, and that's a good thing. I, I encourage that. I have a competitive thing, and so what we see, what we see is that they have that desire. They have that desire to go out and to. Sometimes it leads to dumb stuff, you know. We uh, Jacob sitting right there when he started playing high school ball. You know, he would, the first, first year he played, he would kick them bats or he would throw his bat, you know, when he didn't do it. I was like, you, you need to understand, you see that velada on your, your, la- your back, the back of your jersey? You know, it ain't too many veladas running around. It ain't like your name's Smith or Jones or whatever. When they see velada, they know whose kid you are. I mean, so you can't be, you know, you're reflecting on me and your mother and your grandfather and uh, you're reflecting on us when you act stupid, you know, doing stuff like that. And of course, I can understand I'm the same way. I'll throw a fit with the biggest of them if I'm losing. But understand that you are a testimony to Christ. If you claim the name of Christ, you're a testimony to him. When you run that mouth and stuff comes out of your mouth that no Christians to say, you're saying Christ, this is what Christ looks like. When you come and you don't treat your wife the, the way that God loves, Christ loves the church, or if you're a wife that doesn't respect your husband, you're saying this is what Christ looks like. When you're living in sin and saying, you know what? It's not a sin. It's all good. I'm going. You're saying this is what Jesus looks like. And you're telling the world this is what Jesus looks like. You're a testimony whether you like it or not. If you name the name of Christ, you're an ambassador for him. You're a testimony for him. Make sure I would hate to stand before Christ and say, and him say to me, look at what you told the world I looked like. Look at what you did and showed the world 
This, all of these, you see these group of people over here? They thought I was like you. You become an ambassador for Christ when, you, when you're born again. Last thing. It says, verse 20, and the shepherds returned. They went back to work. So it's not like they left their job. They were still shepherds. Shepherds were still considered low class. They went back to work. But look what changed. They returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they heard and seen as it was told to them. They became worshipers. When Christ comes into your heart, you become a worshiper. You become a worshiper. You are a worshiper right now, whether you're born again or not. You're worshiping something. Everybody worships something. It's built into us. Even tribes out there in the Amazon jungle that don't, have never had contact with, they're worshiping something. They're making something up and worshiping it. They're worshiping wood and stone and idols and things. Everybody's designed to be a worshiper. Maybe you're worshiping money. Maybe you're worshiping free time. Maybe you're worshiping you know, sports or whatever it is. We're worshiping something. What changes when we meet this Christ, when he comes and he saves us, is we become a worshiper of the true God, the living God, the only one that you're going to stand before, the only one that has the power of life and death in his hand. When you come face to face with this Savior, You are drawn to Christ with a desire that loves him, a God-given, Holy Spirit-indwelt desire. You become an ambassador for that Christ as you testify uh, to the world for him, and you become a worshiper of Christ. It's a desire that you long to see him high and lifted up. You long to see him glorified. You long to see his name magnified. You enjoy singing to him. You enjoy praising him, thanking him, giving him glory, giving him what he deserves. When you come into relationship with this Christ, you become, you become one who desires him. You become one who is a testimony to him, an ambassador for him, and you become a worshiper of him. Is that you? Do those those things describe you? You notice I didn't say you're perfect and you never sin again. Didn't say that. I didn't say, well, you never mess up. I didn't say that you become a monk and go live in a monastery. I didn't say that you become a preacher. I didn't say any of those things. Shepherds went back to being shepherds. Electricians go back to being electricians. Businessmen go back to being businessmen. The only difference is now they have a heart for Christ. They're a testimony to Christ. They're an ambassador telling others about Christ, and they are a worshiper of Christ. Is that you? If that's not you, I would seriously, I would seriously examine myself, whether you be in the faith or not, because those things, we can see it all through the Scripture. God changes the hearts of the people that he saves. Has your heart been changed? Father, we love you. God, I come before you today and I thank you for your word.